I, I don't intend for this message to be a negative message, but I, I am going to begin on a, a negative note. Um, there are, it is sad to say, there are many kinds of churches that attract all kinds of people. Uh, there's a lot of people um, that I would never want to be a part of. That's sad to say, but it's true. Now, I, w- I want to ask you if you would want to be a part of this particular kind of church, the prayerless church. Would you want to be a part of a church that is prayerless, that is weak and tired in prayer, that is neglectful to pray? Would you want to be a part of that kind of church? And let me also ask you, and this will bring it home, I think, if everyone in this church prayed like you pray and had the disciplines of prayer that you have, would we be a church zealous in prayer, fervent in prayer, or would we be tending toward prayerlessness? What kind of church would we be if we all prayed like you pray? And I know, I know, I, I feel very strongly guilt and shame and, and conviction for my own neglect in prayer, for not being zealous enough, fervent enough in, in prayer, uh, for neglecting it um, too many days. So I, I think that we could all feel that we need to, to grow in prayer. And this is where I want to go with this message. Because we need to realize, first of all, Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. And prayer is opening our mouth wide so God can fill us with Christ's food. Jesus is the bread of life. And in prayer, we are spiritually opening our mouth wide so God can fill us with Christ's food. Prayer is the power of the Christian life. Prayer is the power of the church. If we don't have prayer, we lose our life. Jesus said to a church in, you know, that beginning of Revelation, and as I was thinking about this, I, I thought, why don't I just preach this one passage uh, in Revelation, but then I thought, ah, oh, there's seven letters here to the churches in Revelation that I want to preach as a series one day, so I couldn't do that. But anyway, details you didn't need to know. Um, this one, one passage in Revelation chapter three, verse two, Jesus said to one of these churches, He said, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Nobody knows it, in other words, but I know it. If we are a prayerless church, we lose our life. All's Chapel may have the reputation in the community of being a church that is alive. We may even think that we are alive and well and and so on. But if we are a prayerless church, the fact is we lose our life 
Because prayer is the power of the Christian life. Jesus is the bread of life, and through prayer we open our mouths wide that God may fill us with the food of Christ. Do you still have zeal to pray? Are you fervent in prayer? Or is your faith weak and tired so that you don't open your mouth for God to fill? I realize that we are at the end of summertime and already, I, I mean, we can see compared to the last, how things went the last month, you know, attendance is, is back up, uh, better. Um, that's great. And at the end of summertime, we're, we're at the end of our summertime law. And most churches, especially the, the smaller church, will experience the summertime law that might tempt us to be a little bit discouraged. Uh, but we can't be in a summer, in a summertime lull. But I, I've, I've talked to you about this before. What we need to never, never, never grow comfortable with is a spiritual lull. A lull of our energies to love one another and to seek the glory of God in Jesus' face. And to be honest with you, I I do sense in, in some ways a spiritual lull at All's Chapel. Um, some, mm, what's the right word? Some negligence, maybe uh, just a hesitancy to serve. Just tired. I I sense a church that is weary, and there's a lot of reasons for spiritual. Weariness. For example, not just a summertime lull, but, uh, you know, there's also the seasonal lull of sickness. And we've had a, a lot of sickness with dearly beloved church members, um, for the last s- several months. And that takes an emotional toll on a church family. It does. And so it can, it can show up in a kind of spiritual weariness. Lord, when is this, when is it going to get better? How long, O oh Lord? Type thing, but you know what? Also, as we are perhaps negligent or lacking in energies to serve and, and so on, it could also be that it's very strongly suggestive of being symptomatic of a weary prayer life, lack of prayer, and we need to we need to be going to God in prayer. Our our prayers must. Never waver. We need to be a church so earnest and constant to go to God. But even more than I would be concerned about um, that, you think, well, that's pretty big. But even more than that, I'm afraid that we may not believe the promises of God concerning prayer. Let me just, I'm going to come back to this one. But listen to 1 John. Listen to these words in 1 John. This is the confidence that we have toward God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. That is incredible 
confidence by the gospel as we stay centered on God in prayer that we may have incredible promise. Do you believe it? Uh, I am concerned that the promises of God concerning prayer may fall on unbelieving hearts. On unbelieving hearts. I, I'm not, I don't know that necessarily. Uh, but I'm always concerned for it, that we have strong faith in the Lord. And there's a concern I have even deeper than that. So see, I'm concerned about three things. That we may not be earnest in prayer. Second, that the promises of God for prayer may fall on unbelieving hearts. And, and third, that the promises of God for prayer may fall on indifferent hearts. It's one thing not to believe in the promises of God or be struggling to believe in the promises of God for prayer, but it's even worse to not want what God promises in prayer. And and God promises the best things for prayer. Do we want them? Do we want to be Spirit-filled? Do we want to bear in our lives the fruit of the Spirit? Do we want in this church to seek the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Do we want to see Jesus? And do we want to proclaim the sight that we see to the lost? Do we want courage in evangelism? And do we want boldness for our witness? Do we want endurance in the Christian life? Do we want to persevere? All of these things God promises us. These things are the will of God. I'm not giving you anything here that God you know, may or may not want for us. These things God promises. Do we want them? Do we want them? So these are, are my concerns. And today I want to turn your attention to First Thessalonians because in this first letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica, God gives us great encouragements to prayer. So first of all, I'm, I'm going to draw your attention to chapter 1, and, and we'll work our way uh, bit by bit through this book. It, it won't take us too long. Paul claims in this very first chapter that he is certain that God had chosen the Thessalonian church to be his own. He, he says, I know God chose you. Look at verse 4. How could he know a thing like that. See verse 4, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. How could he make that kind of claim? Look at the following verse. He says that the gospel, that is the good news concerning God's Son Jesus, had come to the Thessalonian church not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And he knew this. He knew that the gospel had come to them not only in word, but also in power because they had received this word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. In other words, if these Gentiles became believers, it was going to cost them. And it was going to cost them deeply. And yet they received it. They took it on, and they took it on with joy, knowing that it would cost them. And Paul goes on to write in the rest of this chapter that word about this conversion was spreading like wildfire over the Roman Empire. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that amazing? Who, do, who doesn't want that for the, the church? Not just our church, but for all of those who name the name of Christ as Lord and Savior today, that the result, the, the, the result of the, uh, the gospel, its power in our lives would, the news of that would spread everywhere and say, you know, these people, they're not the same. The, the report about them, look at verses 9 and 10. The report was how they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So the church that the Apostle Paul is writing to is a spiritually energized church. This is a strong church. And as we look at them and their spiritual life, we're going to see how the Apostle Paul prayed for them, these people who were already faithful. Now, we find out as the letter goes on that uh, Paul was forced, just after a short time of being with them, he was forced to leave town because of persecution. And, and you can see that event in Luke, uh, in Acts rather, which Luke wrote. Um, and uh, as Paul was away from them for some time, he began to worry because the person, persecution that they had started to suffer at the beginning of the Christian life was continuing unabated. You know, the, the devil wasn't able to turn them away from Jesus, and so the persecution went on and on, and it, can, it, it got worse. And as they suffered increasing affliction, Paul was worried that Perhaps their, their spiritual life, their, their vigor would be sapped and he was worried that the blistering heat of persecution would wither up their courage and, and wilt their love. That's what he was afraid of. And so he became anxious and I want you to see in chapter 3 verse 5 what he said. He said, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So he sent Timothy to them. And Timothy came back with a glowing report about how the the spiritual life of the Thessalonians was going. He was thrilled because their faith was going on and their love was going on. And so this is what Paul wrote in verse 7, again, chapter 3. He said, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, We have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. The first thing that I want you to see as we study this letter is how Paul's life is bound up with this church. I want to ask you a question. Can you relate to the Apostle Paul's anxiety into his relief in any way? That is, does the spiritual well-being of your church family, your brothers and sisters here in this place, does the, does the spiritual well-being of your brothers and sisters affect you like this? That you would be so anxious. Now, I, I know we, we spend a lot more time with each other 
than Paul was able to spend with the Thessalonians. One of the reasons for his anxiety was because he couldn't keep up like he wanted to with what was going on in their hearts. So he was worried and he was anxious. And when he found out that they they were doing well, he was so relieved. Can you relate to that in any way? Does the spiritual well-being of Ald's Chapel affect you anything like this? We must be concerned for each other's spiritual welfare. We must pray for one another. Everyone who is a member of All's Chapel Bible Church is in covenant to do this. And, and really to feel this because we even covenant saying that we will rejoice in each other's rejoicing and we will weep in each other's weeping. And we will pray for one another. And we will help to sustain one another's burdens. And so on. We're covenanted together for this. To be so mutually concerned. And to pray for one another. Uh, Look back again at what he said in verse 8 there. He said, we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. What a statement. And I kind of want to keep coming back to this one. Because it's, it's an amazing statement. We live if you are standing fast in the Lord. He's not saying, okay, if you stand fast in the Lord, then we're going to heaven. That's not what he is saying. He is simply saying, in all of our sufferings, we can endure anything. If you love Jesus, we can endure the darkest days if we know that you are walking in the light of the Lord. That's all that we want. And I know that as parents... Those of you who are parents, you can, you can relate to this. I would suspect that you can totally relate to the Apostle Paul's feelings for this church when it comes to you and, and your children. I suspect that before they were born, you were already praying for second birth. When your child was born, you prayed that they would be born again. Along the lines of, perhaps not exactly in these words, but when they were learning to walk, you were praying that even more than learn to walk and be able to walk and healthy enough and strong enough to walk, that they would be strong to walk with Jesus. Didn't you pray like this? Weren't Then don't you still pray along those lines? Concern for your children. We feel this way about our families. We, we say no matter what I'm going through, I, I can go through anything if I know that my, my family loves Jesus. And, and this is what I want you to realize. This is your family. This is your family. We are born again into a family. And we are covenanted together to feel this way for each other. To be so concerned and to bring each other's burdens to the Lord. To pray for one another. And I do want you to know This isn't, I'm not trying to say I'm like Paul or anything. I just want you to be reassured that I pray for all of you and not just generally. I pray for all of you by name. And I pray for you for specific spiritual things that either you have shared with me or I can see or I've just heard how you've, you know, shared concerns or whatever. But I pray for specific things for you. Each of you by name. I want you to know that. I'm praying for you. This is what I want. I want for you to follow Jesus. And I, I want to... Uh, keep Every time I 
talk about them, I get emotional. <clears throat> Over the last 12 years, I've spent more more time with Bill than than anyone, and we would go visiting together, and I can't tell you how many times we've eaten out together, and I have not paid for a single one of those meals. There's, and if you've been out to eat with Bill, you know you're not gonna win. You just you just give up. You say thanks, Bill. <laughs> but I can't tell you how many times we also would talk about the the spiritual well being of this church family. And uh, and every time we would talk about the spiritual well-being and the the growth, we talk about and this is you know Bill's an elder shepherd here. This is what shepherds do, and uh, we talk about someone's growth in the Lord, and he he would light up, and he would tear up every time, he because he was so happy to to talk about how so and so is growing in the Lord. And he would always quote from John who says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I don't know how many times I heard him say that. And he'd just brim with the the tears and be brimming, overflowing with the joy because this has been his family for, for 45 years. And how much uh, that man has poured into this family we can't even say. But I, I want to say to our young people, I, I don't want you to wait until you are old to feel like that. To be so invested in your, your brothers and sisters in your church. All of us, can you uh, imagine a church that would feel like what Paul expressed, where you would say, you would say, this is the life. When my brothers and sisters walk with Jesus, that's living. That's, that's joy. That's exactly what Paul was saying when he said, we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Just imagine a whole church that would say that. We live. I live if my brothers and sisters are walking with Jesus. That's my life. That's my joy. I pray that God matures us to that degree. Now, so this church, this is a a faithful church. The report has come back. This church is doing well. They are constant in faith and love. So, the question is, now what does Paul pray for? You know, if they're faithful, what what does Paul pray for? Look at chapter 3 again, verses 12 and 13. This is what Paul prays for. He says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So what do you pray for when the church is doing well? When there's faith and when there's love and courage, you pray simply in a word for more. More. Increase. Abundance. And if you would sum it up, you'd say that they would grow and grow all the way to glory. 
that that summarizes Paul's prayer for the church. And that's really a, a summary too of the Christian life. We grow and we grow all the way to glory. So that's what he was praying. More love, more holiness. And so go over to chapter 4 because I, I want you to see then how he turned from praying these things for the church to commanding these things. So verse verse 1 of chapter 4. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Then go down to verses 9 and 10. He says in the same vein, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Just as you do love, love more and more. Just as you are holy, so be more and more holy. All the way to glory. Grow in love and holiness. All the way to glory. Now, let's go to chapter 5. Finally, at last, we're going to look at verse 23. So really, um, I, I didn't say this earlier, but there, there really is no imperative, no command to the Thessalonian church before, I, I think, before chapter 4. Uh, slight chance I could be wrong on that. I have been known to be wrong from time to time. Uh, I, but I don't think so. I, I, I think that the first commands in the letter you don't see till chapter 4. So you have the prayer, Paul's prayer. I want you to grow. And then you have these all these commands through chapter 4 and chapter 5 that they would grow and increase in love and holiness and so on. And then this is how he, he wraps it up. Verse uh, 23 of chapter 5. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you see how those two prayers are basically the same? He's he's praying that they would grow and grow all the way to glory. So the commands are wrapped in prayer. You could think of them like bookends or something like that. Uh, They are wrapped, the commandments are wrapped in prayer. Um, if you were in the fellowship hall earlier, you smelled something good. And maybe you started to feel the, the rumblings of hunger. In a little bit, we're going to, to satisfy our hunger. And we always enjoy satisfying our hunger. What we don't enjoy so much are the pangs of hunger. We like eating, but we don't like so much Feeling hungry, that, that gnaw, you know, oh, I gotta, I need something to eat now. But you know, it's really, really important that you feel hunger pangs, right? That you sense the need to eat. And that you have a desire to eat. Because it's not good. It's not good in your body when you don't want to eat anymore. And I've been through this experience with a lot of our church family over the last decade that when your elderly loved one doesn't want to eat anymore, 
you can you can see you can see the end you know it's in it's in sight or you know that it's getting closer and so you know we all we we urge them to eat we cajole them we even trick them into eating and we use substitutes that don't always taste good but give them the, what they need to eat and it's a good day when your when your loved one eats Jesus Christ is the bread of life, our food. Prayer is opening our mouths wide to feed on Christ, to have God fill us with Christ's food. We don't want anyone to say about food, I've had enough food in my life. I don't think I need to eat anymore. Or even, you know, I ate last week, so I think I'm good for a while. But, don't Christians actually consciously think, yeah, I pray. I prayed last week. You should have heard me. I prayed for like 10 minutes straight. I think I'm good to go. And if that is our mindset and our attitude about prayer, spiritually we will waste away our resistance to temptation will not be strong. And our our energies for service, for love, are going to decline. Even more than we need to eat physically. We need to eat spiritually. And all of you believe that. So let us pray. Because Jesus Christ is the bread of life. And prayer is opening our spiritual mouths wide to feed on Jesus. I think there's a saying um, that goes something like, there are no sure things in life. I, I should have Googled this, but I didn't. So I, I think there's some kind of saying like that. Just, it, when it comes out of my mouth, it doesn't sound like it, it flows real well, so maybe that's not how the saying goes. But something like, there are no sure things. And it's true. I mean, um, every time that I have seen a, a infomercial for some kind of gadget, I've been skeptical. They say, it's a sure thing. This is foolproof. I'm just like, don't lie to me. You know? And you're probably all the same. I kind of hope that you are when it comes to that kind of advertisement. And you're skeptical and you you doubt. Um, what else? I don't know. Uh, if you try this scheme, this is this will surely work for you. You just you follow these steps. This is... This cannot fail. It's a sure thing. And again, it's just like, oh, come on. I mean, who hasn't, you know, it doesn't work. And just admit it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a skeptical person. So when someone says that this will 100% work, I doubt it 100% of the time. There are no sure things. But there are with the promises of God. And this, what we just read in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, is a sure thing. So look at verse 24. I have to read verse 23 again. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you grow and grow and grow all the way to glory. May you be wholly consecrated to the Lord your God. Verse 24. He who calls you, is faithful. He will surely do
do it. He will surely do it. This is incredible. This is incredible. There, there are a lot of things that you may pray for in this life that are not sure things. Things that you don't know. You know, you want something like, uh, uh, example, I want the grass to get greener back there. Okay. I haven't prayed that the grass would get greener back there, but I want it to get greener. I mean, in the playground area. And I don't know. Silly example. Should have thought of something better. I don't know if that's God's will for the grass. I don't know if that's what he's going to do. And so if I prayed that the grass would get green, I don't know that that would necessarily happen. And there's life is filled with these things. The Bible doesn't explicitly say what God's will is in this provision or that or whatever. And so what we must do as we pray for what we want, but we don't know God wills, we must pray that we would be Faithful, no matter what the outcome. Have faith and be faithful no matter what the outcome is. But I want you to realize something. The best things that God can or will ever give you are sure things. And there is no doubt about them. The best things are sure things. There are no sure things in life. There are so many things you may pray about that you don't know if this is the will of God. So they aren't sure things. But the very best things are sure things. So this is what we must do, church family. As we pray, we must focus the greatest energies of our prayers on these things. We must set our hearts on these things above all. So as we pray for our church family, as we pray for Bill and for Merle and for Betty and for Kelly to get well and for Keith to be healed and, and Ricky to feel well and, and, and so on, lot, lots of physical need. We must pray for these things in those prayers that their faith would not fail. That for some, as their, their bodies wear down and irreversibly wear down, that still the inner man, inner person would be renewed every single day. That their joy would not fail. That Satan would not be successful to steal away their joy. Pray with that concern for one another and say, I live if they stand fast in the Lord. As in, this is the life. When though they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yet they have, they go with the light of the Lord. That's our prayer. The best things, the best things that you will ever have are sure things. So let us pray for them. And pray for those things for one another. Church family, I live if you stand fast in the Lord. If your joy dims, if you're spiritually weary, if, God forbid, you stray away, it has a deep, deep effect on me and a deep, deep effect emotionally on us all. 
This is what the church is. This is what we're in covenant for. This is um, like we were talking about Job's friends. We're covenant friends. We're covenant brothers and sisters to walk through these things together and to pray for one another. So let's do it. Remember, the best things are sure things. So let us pray that we will grow and grow no matter what, all the way to glory. Father, we thank you for this word, for these instructions, for Paul's example, and for this incredible promise in Christ that we have. That the very best things that we could have, holiness, Christ-likeness, are sure. And so, Father, we pray for them absolutely confidently that no matter what we suffer in this life, I pray, Father, that our spiritual life would keep on growing, growing stronger all the time. And I do pray, Father, for those of our church family who are are feeling the physical sufferings of this life right now. I know, Father, the temptations there, the fears, the anxieties, and so on that are natural. But I pray, Father, that these would be so spiritually strengthened that faith and joy surge forward. Love surge for, surges forward nonetheless. No, God... We, we can't open each other's mouth in prayer, but we can pray for them. And I do pray, Father, that we would be a praying church, that everyone's spiritual mouth would be wide open to feed on Jesus, the bread of life, until we are with him. These things we pray boldly and with thanksgiving in Christ's name. Amen.